Welcome to Making the Most of Time with me, Elliot Apple. I'm a financial planner and caregiver. To give you a little background, my dad was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer when I was 25. Our world was changed instantly, and it's been a constant state of change ever since. Since then, I've been learning about the intersection of money, health, and loss, personally and professionally. This is a place to explore money, loss, and grief. It's about making the most of time, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, and financially. There are no taboo topics, no question is off limits. These conversations are for people like you, people who are about to lose a significant other, widows, caregivers, and anybody affected by a major health event. I'm glad you're here. So with that, let's start making the most of time. Hello and welcome. I hope you're all doing well. It's getting pretty cold here in Wisconsin, although it's sunny. felt like four degrees the other day, so I hope it's a little bit warmer where you are. Today, I want to talk about estate planning and the common mistakes that I see in estate plans, and then also talking through how to review your own estate plan. So with that, let's talk about them. An estate plan is one of the most important pieces of your financial life. Are you sure yours is how it should be? Does it have the right people in the right roles? Are your assets properly titled? Does it have common estate plan mistakes? Do you even know what it says? Despite it being one of the most important pieces of a solid financial plan, I frequently see mistakes in estate plans. I'm happy when I catch them, but I also hurt when I read stories about estate plans that have gone wrong after death. It's easy to ignore your estate plan. I get it. You do it, and you think you're good for the next 20 years, but that's not the best approach. Life changes, laws change, people around you change. These changes require a careful review of your estate plan. I advocate thoroughly reviewing your estate plan at least once every five years, even if it feels nothing has changed. Usually, something changes that may require a revision. If nothing has changed, at least you have a clear understanding of what happens to your lifetime of savings after you pass away. Let's look at common estate planning mistakes and seven questions you can ask yourself as you review your estate plan. Do you understand the estate plan? I know an attorney drafted it. I know it's probably in legalese. I know it's most likely hard to understand. You don't want to rely on you telling the attorney something once and assuming they have correctly understood what you have said. Have you ever seen kids play the telephone game? It's a game where kids form a line or a circle and one kid whispers a message into the next kid's ear. That kid then repeats it to the third person in line. They continue down the line, and when it gets to the last person, they say the phrase out loud for everyone to hear. And everybody gets to hear how much the phrase has changed. And let me tell you, it's often nothing like the original phrase. It's fun to watch the kids go back and try to figure out where things went wrong. I remember as a kid that the phrase could change with the second person, meaning even the second person couldn't repeat back what they just heard. That's what can happen if you tell your attorney something once and assume they correctly understood you, correctly wrote it down, and correctly drafted what you wanted. Even the best attorneys will miss important information. I know as a financial planner, I often ask people to repeat things or paraphrase what I've heard back to people to ensure I've understood. It's normal in professional conversations and with friends and family. My recommendation to help make sure you understand your estate plan is to print it out and read it all the way through. I find I catch more errors on paper than reading on the computer screen. Right next to any paragraph or word you don't understand. Go through it with your attorney. Your attorney should be able to explain any sections you don't understand. Now, the question often comes up, will it cost more? 
Probably, if your attorney's billing by the hour. But you know what will potentially cost even more? You passing away and your estate plan not reflecting what you wanted, which costs your heirs more time, pain, and money than they anticipated. I'm not an attorney, and I don't give legal advice, but I've gone through estate plans with people just to help them understand what I see in the documents. Often it's not what I'm seeing that's most helpful, but actually taking the time to go through the documents. Wills, powers of attorneys, and other parts of estate planning can be long, and it makes it difficult to commit the time to review them. If you have a family member or a friend you're willing to share yours with, set a time with them to go through each other's. If you work with a financial planner, see if they will review it with you. Having an accountability partner can be really helpful. The next question is whether the right people are in the right roles. I often hear something along the lines of, I made my will 20 years ago. I should probably review whether it makes sense to have Mary be my executor. She is 10 years older than me. Remember how I said life changes? Life changes. People get older. People move away. People die. When I say the right people in the right roles, I'm primarily talking about guardians, trustees, agents, powers of attorney, and executors. If someone needs a guardian, such as a child or an adult who lacks capacity, is the person you name still the right fit? Are they local, or would they relocate? Do they have the time and willingness to do it? Do you have backup people or organizations named in case the first person is unwilling to serve? Something I commonly see is for people to name one or two close family members for a role, and that's it. If you only name one person and you happen to get an accident with them and you both die, or that person passes away a year prior and you forget to update your estate plan, you now are leaving it to state law and the courts to decide who is appointed to the key roles in your estate plan. I prefer naming a few people, and even potentially a professional trustee or executor as the final backup, just in case the extreme unlikelihood happens and everybody passes away before you. Also, know that serving as an executor is a thankless job. It's a time-consuming administrative process with personal liability exposure. (laughs) I once knew an attorney who joked, and he would say this, he would say, which kid do you like the least? Name them as an executor. Now, it was only a joke, and typically people name their most responsible and organized family members or friends. But before you do, ask yourself if they have the capacity to take on such a large, thankless role. If you have multiple backup people in each role and you're comfortable with the people you named, you're usually in good shape. It doesn't usually take more than 15 minutes to skim through who you have listed and see if updates are needed. Next, does it allow for a disclaimer trust? This is a big one. It's not only important to ensure your estate plan allows for a disclaimer trust, but also that you understand it. This is one of the most common things I explain to people because most don't understand the benefit. A disclaimer trust is a provision within a will that allows a trust to be established and funded upon your passing. It does not force a trust to be established, but gives someone the option of establishing it. This is helpful because a surviving spouse may not want to fund a disclaimer trust at death. With a credit shelter trust or bypass trust, the funding is usually not optional. A disclaimer trust allows for more flexibility. If you're remarried and have children from prior marriages, This may not be the best approach because you may actually want to force certain actions to happen. That's why it's really important to understand it and talk about it with your attorney to make sure everybody's in agreement that this is the best method. A disclaimer trust is beneficial because assets that go into it are not included in the estate when the surviving spouse passes away. Plus, the disclaimer trust can provide income and other support for the surviving spouse while alive. It's a way of reducing future estate tax consequences while still being able to benefit from the assets. For example, I lived in Seattle, Washington for a good part of my life, and Washington State has a 
$2.193 million exemption amount. This means each person can die with $2.193 million and owe zero in estate taxes. When you have an estate valued above this amount, you face a Washington state estate tax ranging from anywhere from 10 to 20%. If you allow all assets to pass to the survivor and choose not to fund a disclaimer trust or don't have the provisions in your will that allow for it, it can mean significantly more in estate taxes later. Next, are your assets appropriately titled? One of the common estate plan mistakes I see people make is create a trust, but forget to actually fund the trust. They go through this really lengthy process of creating a trust that carefully takes into account their wishes, but then assets are not retitled, effectively negating the careful planning they did. If you create a trust, did you actually fund the trust? Are your brokerage accounts titled in the name of the trust? Are your bank accounts titled in the name of the trust? Did you deed your house into the trust? If you created a trust, review which assets should be in the trust. If they're not in the trust and should be in it, work on putting them into the trust. Another common estate plan mistake I see is making children joint owners on accounts or a house to simplify things when they pass away. This can be a huge issue. Very, very big issue. Not only are you potentially creating a gift if you make them a joint account holder, and a gift tax return may need to be filed as well, but you are potentially eliminating the possibility of them receiving a step up in cost basis at your death. When someone passes away, their heirs usually inherit property with a cost basis equal to the fair market value at your death. What this means is if you bought stock at $10 many years ago and you pass away when it was worth $100, your heirs' cost basis will be stepped up to the $100. They could then sell that asset with minimal tax consequences. However, if you gift them an asset by making them a joint account holder, only your proportional share of the account will receive a step up in cost basis, not the full account. This means your child would end up paying more in taxes when they sell the asset because they would have a lower cost basis. It's usually better to add a transfer on death or payable on death designation to an account instead of making a child a joint account holder to simplify the process of death. If a child needs control, it's usually better to add them as a power of attorney to the account. Plus, if you make a child a joint account holder, you face more liability. If your child is sued or defaults on debts, the account you made them a joint account holder on could be taken in a lawsuit or to fulfill a creditor's claims. There are very rare circumstances where it makes sense to make a child a joint account holder later in life. It's important to review your assets every few years to ensure they are properly titled. You don't want to accidentally open a new account in your name, fund it later with significant assets, and then find out you forgot to title it in the name of the trust. Next question to go through when you're looking at your state plan is, are your beneficiaries accurate? And in addition to are your beneficiaries accurate, do you know which beneficiary designations supersede others? What I mean by that is that many people commonly think, oh, I have everything figured out in my will. It doesn't matter what my retirement account beneficiary says. It does matter. Your retirement beneficiary supersedes your will. If your retirement beneficiary says 100% of the account goes to charity and you put 100% of your retirement accounts go to your friend Jane in your will, they'll go to charity. They're going to follow the retirement beneficiary. Also, if you don't put a retirement account beneficiary, the tax consequences can be less favorable to your heirs. There are situations where it makes sense for your estate or trust to receive retirement funds at death, but for most people, it's usually better to name them directly as a beneficiary. People need to be careful in how they list beneficiaries on retirement accounts, whether they use a transfer on death designation, and how to coordinate it with their wills or trust. On top of that, make your beneficiaries as tax efficient as possible. If you want to give to charity, I normally recommend naming a charity as an IRA beneficiary. 
The charity receives the funds and pays no income tax, whereas a family member or friend would if they receive those assets. It's usually better to have Roth IRAs, where taxable brokerage accounts go to family and portions of IRA accounts go to charity. I commonly see individuals list family as IRA beneficiaries and then put in their will that a charity will receive 50000 of the residuary estate or whatever amount they're intending. Although it's not bad, it's not the most tax-efficient strategy. Lastly, have you accounted for situations where a beneficiary passes away before you? For example, if you have three children and all three children have two kids, what happens if one of your three children pass away before you? Does your will state that the remaining funds go to your other two children? Or do they go to your two grandchildren? What about your retirement beneficiaries? What does it say in that scenario? And your life insurance? What does it say? The challenging part of estate planning is anticipating many different scenarios, being as specific as possible, but also leaving room for flexibility when life happens. Review your beneficiaries and think about different scenarios to see if your beneficiaries are accurate and set up to be as tax efficient as possible. The next question you'll want to ask yourself is, could it be simplified? An estate plan can allow you to be almost as specific and complicated as you want. The problem is that complexity usually adds difficulty. It also usually allows less flexibility as life happens. If you state that your childhood home can only be sold if all your children own a home, what happens if one of your children does not want a home? If you state that a child does not receive their full inheritance until age 65, what happens if they have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to school or buy a business that could drastically improve their life, but they can't afford it without that inheritance? If you state all children must own the vacation house together, but one never uses it because they live far away and still have to pay for it while the others love it and regularly use it, how will that affect sibling dynamics? Life can get complicated. You can add all the asterisks you want to your plan, but the more you add, the more likely it is for your plan not to work as intended. Although there are situations where more restrictive rules can be helpful, I find simplicity is usually better. Next, are you aware of the estate tax consequences? Although many people are not exposed to the federal estate tax, which is at just over 12 million per individual in 2022, many people are exposed to their state estate tax. 11 states have an estate tax, Hawaii, Washington, Oregon, Minnesota, Illinois, New York, Rhode Island, Vermont, Maine, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. Five states have an inheritance tax, Iowa, Kentucky, Nebraska, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Maryland has an estate and inheritance tax. This means 17 states and the District of Columbia may tax your estate in some way. Some states have low estate tax exemptions. Oregon is such a state at $1 million, meaning they start taxing your estate if you have more than $1 million at death. Others, such as Connecticut, start taxing estates above $9.1 million in 2022. It's important to be aware that your estate typically includes everything you own. Think about your home, life insurance, death benefits, cars, brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, bank accounts, businesses, etc. All those will add up and be included in your estate. For many people living in states with low estate tax exemption amounts, it can be pretty easy to cross the threshold. If you anticipate being subject to estate taxes, understand how your plan accounts for paying the taxes and how it might affect your other beneficiaries. If your assets are largely illiquid, such as in a business or real estate, how will the estate taxes be paid? Do you have mostly retirement accounts? If those are liquidated, income taxes may be due in addition to the estate taxes. Know how that will reduce the amount going to your heirs. It's also good to discuss whether gifting assets, either to family, friends, or charity, during life makes sense to reduce the value of your estate. 
You can also discuss whether it makes sense to make a larger gift to charity during your life, such as to a charitable remainder unit trust or a CRET that can provide income during your life and then the remainder goes to charity at your death. Although facing the issue of paying estate taxes is a good problem to have, don't approach it passively. There are many strategies that may reduce your estate tax exposure. Planning earlier may give you time to properly implement those strategies. So my final thoughts and a question for you to act on. Since estate planning is something we only do a few times in our lives, it's difficult to make sure it's what we intended. Add the fact that most attorneys use jargon that make it more difficult to read, and it's no wonder many people are unsure of what is in their estate plan. An estate plan should be reviewed more frequently than every 20 years. If you're in that boat, it's okay. Many people are too. When major legislation happens, that's a good time to review your estate plan because it may be impacted. Anytime a significant life change happens, I recommend reviewing your estate plan then too. As you go through it, ask yourself the following questions. One, do you understand the estate plan? Two, are the right people in the right roles? Three, does it allow for a disclaimer trust? Four, are your assets appropriately titled? Five, are your beneficiaries accurate? Six, could it be simplified? Seven, are you aware of the estate tax consequences? And I'll leave you with one question to act on. When are you going to review your estate plan? Elliot Apple is an investment advisor representative of Kindness Financial Planning, LLC. However, in hosting this podcast, Elliot is not acting as an investment advisor representative individually or on behalf of Kindness Financial Planning. The information and opinions in this podcast are for general, informational, and educational purposes only and should not be considered investment, financial, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of publication, and such opinions are subject to change. No representation is made as to the completeness or accuracy of the information presented. Any past performance referenced is historical and no guarantee of future results. All indices referenced are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. All investments involve a certain level of risk. You should carefully consider if an investment is suitable for you before making an investment. Please consult your legal, financial, and other professionals to determine what may be appropriate for you.